You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. Friday, January the 6th. Beautiful, bright, sunny day here in TW11. I, for one, thoroughly looking forward to heading to Sandown Park tomorrow for the Tollworth Hurdle and the Veterans Chase, more of which later in the programme. We'll also be discussing Ireland's feature race this weekend, which is the Lawlers of Nace. Funnily enough, at Nace on Sunday could have a significant bearing on matters further down the road. I'll be, of course, casting my net further afield. I'll be heading to Dubai. I'll also be heading to Japan for some very interesting thoughts on what Japan's likely impact on international racing in 2023 will be with uh, expert Kate Hunter. But first of all, news of jumps horses who have got important assignments coming up. Earlier in the week on this podcast, Alan King revealed that Edward Stone would go to the Clarence House chase at Ascot. There really were only two seriously meaningful grade one horses entered for this race. The other, the runner-up in last year's epic, Energumen, the champion chaser. I've been speaking to the racing manager to Energumen's owner, Tony Bloom, Sean Graham, and this is what he said about the possibility of Energumen's next start. Um, hi, Nick. Uh, Energumen came out of the hilly way in great shape. Um, Willie was in no mad rush to run him at Leperstown at Christmas, but he said he'd like to give him one more run before Cheltenham. And um, I spoke with Willie on Wednesday and he was definitely leaning towards the Clarence House. So um, I let Tony know, um, but I don't think Tony can make it that day. I think Brighton are playing away at Leicester, so I think Tony will be at, at the Leicester match. But um, Willie sort of said to me, look, he sort of made his mind up that the Clarence House will be in Ergamon's next race. All right, then. That was Sean Graham. It's game on as I welcome Lydia Hislop to the show. That's a nice way to start Friday, isn't it? Oh, it's really, really, really good because you were looking at the Clarence Sowers and thinking with Energumen does not turn up, then that looks like a very one-sided contest. Amar- Amarillo Sky may be the interesting one, just a seven-year-old progressing out of handicap company entered in the Queen Mother Champion Chase. But the rest of them, I mean, Funambule Civilla, of course, um, inherited second in the Queen Mother Champion Chase last season, but somebody had to. Um, and the rest of them are very good. You know, you'd love to own them. But are they threats to Ed- Edwardson? No, they're not. Then Energumen uh, is signalled as being heading towards uh, trying to uh, go one better than he managed in the race last season in that epic duel against Shishkin. And him versus Edwardston is going to be a, a real compelling spectacle, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Oh, Willie Mullins and Tony Bloom are not going to want to leave that Clarence house behind again, are they? <laughs> but if they, it's great. I mean, it's great if both horses run. Absolutely. You know, you wonder whether... I mean, there's always the game spirit option, isn't there, still for Alan King and, and Edwardston? But he said to you... Clarence House, that's where they're going. Yeah, I don't think he's frightened of any horse, and nor should he be. That will be a lovely foretaste of things to come and a fantastic race. That is at Ascot, not this week, not next week, but the week after that. Um, And uh, beyond that, we can look forward to the Cotswold Chase at Cheltenham. Dan Skelton has been musing over to whether to run his stable star and Gold Cup fancy and Betfair Chase win a protector at in that race or the Fleur de Lis, which is part of Lingfield's Winter Million 
next weekend. And this is what he had to say to me a little earlier. Yeah, we decided that we're going to go for the Cotswold chase. We think it's probably the most sort of appropriate option on the ground more than anything else. Don't don't get me wrong, a protector definitely wants softer ground. Um, but the way that Cheltenham's going, it's going to be you know soft and you know perfect for him. Uh, I think we you know, Lingfield could be very very heavy. I just wouldn't want to go and leave. Um, you know, leave the rest of the season there in, in, in very, very heavy conditions. I've got a number of horses for that millions meeting, which obviously we want to support because of the prize money um, and and support the, the, the venture. You know, I think it's something that we've got to try and keep promoting, but, but it's definitely the right thing to do with Protector Act to go to Cheltenham. I mean, given all that money, you'll have your eye on plenty of races. Have you, have you got a little short list of horses who you are going to run there? Yeah, I think I think Bally Griffin Cottage is going to go there. He won the he won at the meeting last year. He goes to the Novice Chase over three miles. Eclair Denae will turn up again. He was second there last year. I've got two for the Sovereign Hurdle, um, uh, including Playful Saint, who won quite easily over the Christmas period. Uh, Artis Kimbo for the Mayor's Novice's Hurdle. Um, what else have we got? I think I've nearly got one for every race, so I'll at least have entries for every race. The one I'm going to probably struggle with now is actually the, the Fleur de Lise chase, because obviously you need a you need a top flight contender for that. And if if Protector Act's going to Cheltenham, that'll probably just leave us leave us empty in that race. But which is a shame because it's worth 165 grand. But um, yeah, you, I'll, I'll try and I'll try and find one. <laughs> um. I'm not. I'm, I'm, this is this. Uh, this is not thought association. But I was going to ask you how Midnight Rivers come out of uh, last weekend. You wouldn't be stepping him up yet, would you? In in trip? No. Um, I actually looked back through it. We, we did try him over three miles once, though he fell over hurdles. So we don't know the answer to that question. But I think for now we want to head down the plate route. So I think you'll find that his next run is is in the plate. I was on in an hour in whether we got him ready for trials day. Um, and I think we pro- we possibly could rather than definitely could. You've got to take into consideration that the gap from the Paddy Power to New Year's Day has obviously suited him. Now that doesn't mean that to say that he can't win off a three week a three week gap to his races. But you know the, the current evidence is that that gap suits him, and that gap leaves you quite neatly to to Cheltenham for the plate. So I think that's where you'll see him next. And, and newbie Negra is he okay? He is. He's fine. He's just nipped back to his owners for um, for a short break. He goes back to his owners um, between races now just to get him as fresh as possible. Yeah, he's absolutely fine. He goes for the champion chase. He, I thought he ran really well at Kempton. The ground was a bit tacky, um, which wouldn't necessarily suit him. And all credit to the winner. You've got to give credit to the winner. He set a hard, hard task and, and proved impossible to beat on the day. So protector out then, according to Dan Skelton, for the uh, Cotswold chase, Lydia. I think that makes sense, doesn't it, as a Gold Cup trial timing-wise and what he was saying about not wanting to run him in very, very deep ground. Yeah, I mean, it can often be quite the test at Cheltenham, but it's not the same as a test at, at Lingfield if it gets very heavy there. Uh, certainly, we know that Protector Act handles Cheltenham really well. Um, you know, a really excellent third, uh, despite his mistake at the last behind a Plutar in the Gold Cup. But before that, he'd run really well in um, the Paddy Power chase um, when second um, this season, a career best performance to win the Betfair chase in which um, Apluta, of course, underperformed. Yeah, it makes sense in terms of a, a stepping stone. It's the race. The two races that you mentioned were the ones that Dan Skelton identified after winning the Betfair chase. So he's stuck to his plan for Protectorat. And Protectorat is one of many that head towards the Gold Cup with a career best performance just under their belt. 
Now, who could he face in the Cotswold chase? I, I wondered, first of all, about Lon Presse, but an article that David Yates, our podcast colleague, wrote in the Daily Mirror two days ago when interviewing owner Andy Edwards seems to suggest that won't be the case. Yes, he said, um, Andy Edwards has said that the horse was stiff and sore after his, uh, would have been second in the King George, of course, having jumped, adjusted out to his left, something that he has done before, but finding it uh, more of a thing in that company on, and uh, at Kempton, um, it, it took its toll on him. He had his measure taken by the time that Brave Man's game jumped past him at the last. And unfortunately, he stumbled on landing when adjusting left and uh, decanted Charlie Deutsch. He ran a really, really good race. But yes, Andy Edwards, his owner, says that he's returned stiff and sore. And he was inclined to brave ground that was too quick for Lom Presse. Um, it's, it, there's so many different interpretations of what, what the ground was at, at Kempton over those two days. Um, Andy Edwards identifies it as being good to soft, and I agree with him, and he felt that that was too quick for Lom Presse. I, I still thought it was about a career-best performance, but I seem to be in a minority of one. No, no. A minority no, of two. I, I join you there. Okay, and and I read your your piece in on, on the road to Cheltenham on the Racing TV website, and thoroughly enjoyed it as always. Particularly your uh, soul searching and agonising about whether to back Brave Man's game at a big price for the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Lydia, just get him backed. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, I was saying to you that with your position on Brave Man's game, unambiguously, you should be backing him at the nine to one that is still available. Um, you know, he has the best form. This season, I would argue, uh, the, the best current season form. Overall, probably the third best form behind um, Aplutar's victory last year and Gallopin de Cholm's performance at Fairy House. Uh, and yet he is fifth best in the, in the betting, uh, fourth or fifth best in the betting. Yeah, fifth best, best in the betting. So, I, you know, go figure. Uh, if you want the, the best performance, if you want the fresh top quality performance uh, for me that is brave man's games king george the questions of course are whether he'll stay further than three miles it's not so much that that bothers me necessarily i do wonder about the way that paul nichols has campaigned him on flat tracks resolutely since his defeat in the ballymore i know that he was due to run in the brown advisory but um paul has since said that he was quite relieved to be able to withdraw him because of the rain that fell and that that ground that there was on the, on the second yeah. day it just seems to me it can't be coincidental that somebody who places their horses as well as Paul Nichols that he has resolutely kept to flat tracks with that horse. Anyway, he must. He earned his right to be in the in the Gold Cup with that brilliant victory in the King George. Quite right that he should go there, but it remains a question mark in my mind. That element. If you're listening to the podcast earlier in the week, you'll have heard me interviewing Joe Chambers, racing manager to Rich Ritchie. Uh, I was asking him why Monkfish had had an entry in the Gold Cup. He said the entry was optimistic. I suddenly realised there were two definitions of the word optimistic when I put out the tweet uh, later on, which probably rather uh, misrepresented him. I don't feel so guilty now because Willie Mullin said he had an away day yesterday. He's back on the gallops. He was fine this morning. I was pleased to see that. We gave him an entry. I don't think he'll make it. That said, he's ahead of where I thought he'd be. He's coming along nicely. I've been happy with him. It just depends on whether I want to send him straight to a gold cup without a run. He's fit and well, though. He's thinking about it, isn't he? So I'm just dusting off the form line of um, of Monkfish. Is it pre-pandemic? No, it's not quite pre-pandemic. <laughs> it feels like it, though, doesn't Angel's it? Angel's breath, he's pre-pandemic, but not pre-pandemic. <laughs> yeah, he is. December 2019, the last time that we saw um, Angel's breath winning the Noel chase for novices at Ascot when trained by Nicky Henson. Monkfish we haven't seen since being beaten by Cole Reavy, his stable companion, at Punchestown in April 2021. That followed his uh, wide margin success in the Brown Advisory, which was excellent. He would be better 
are suited by the galloping new course as compared to the old course at Cheltenham. He's a big uh, horse. I mean, he's just really, really tall. He's sort of got a giraffe-like quality, apparently, when you see him um, in a field, you know which horse is, is Monkfish. And I just wonder, he reminds me a bit of top of the game in terms of frame-wise, and it's clearly difficult to keep horses like that um, sound and running. Although, you know, up until the point where Monkfish went missing, he had quite a full campaign. He did. Has Monsignor been entered as well? <laughs> With or without all of that painting on him for, you know, the, the you know, the, it, wasn't he a model for how, how the, the physiology of a horse? His Didn't career, have... his career after he stopped running was much more interesting than the career that he actually had. But, you know, but we still hanker after the career that he might have had. You know, it's like, you know, actors and pop stars when they leave us young. Okay, let's talk about the big races this weekend. The Lawlers of Nace, first of all, Lydia. Uh, Grange Clare West, another favourite to get in. Uh, Willie Mullins, another great one. Yes, and interesting that he has... Originally, he was talking about possibly uh, running Gaelic Warrior as well, but Gaelic Warrior has a mark of 134. 134, Nick. That looks... If, that looks if, if you win a race by 85 length or whatever it was... And still Higher, has... according to Simon Rowlands, if you read his column. It's so, just the whole thing so silly. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so uh, they have decided against running um, at Nace with uh, Gaelic Warrior, which I think is a good idea. I mean, I, I think he's better right-handed personally, but let, let, let's see. He's certainly been given a gift of a handicap mark. And so instead, Willie Mullins is going with Grange Clare West, who is unbeaten in all disciplines, points, bumpers and hurdles. He's had one of each so far in his career. And it was a really good performance last time. And he's also running stable companion champ Keeley, who has a form line with Irish Point from the Royal Bond that we should pay attention to. That was a race that ended up being getting going far, far, far too far out. And that was partly due to the freeness of champ Keeley, who pulled his way to the front and wasn't for settling. But also you can argue by dint of that, the race started working out a little bit sooner than probably the jockeys would ideally have wanted to do. I think Irish Point made his move a little bit sooner than perhaps ideally they would have wanted to. And so I'm inclined to mark him slightly up in the same way as I would would champ Keeley for their defeat behind Marine Nationale last time. But it's a, it's a, a really good race all round. There's a, a load of horses that I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, Dawn Rising and Affidel Fury are reopposing each other. They ran with American Nut Mike at Navan, and Affidel Fury and American Nut Mike got going again. Went, went a little bit too hard in this race. They were legless towards the end. Poor Affidel Fury ended up um, on the floor. Um, he was slightly in the lead at the point where he fell at the last. Uh, American Mike was left in the lead, but he was legless. And then Dawn Rising, having been sorely outpaced, understandably, given the way the race was run, then picked up the pieces. So, yeah, there's lots and there's lots and lots to talk about from that race. Monbeau Park as well is interesting for Sean Doyle. Dropping in trip, I think that he needs... Coming back in trip is exactly what he needs. He ran better than it seems last time. We're not quite getting home. And then there's I Know the Way You're Thinking as well for Gavin Cromwell. Yep, for J.P. McManus, Gavin Cromwell was very, um, very sweet on his chances. Not all Irish trained novice hurdlers are running in that race because uh, Arctic Brazil will be representing Henry de Bromhead in the Tolworth Hurdle at Sandown Park, where Authorised Speed is the favourite. You heard from Authorised Speed's owner, Pat Gallagher, earlier in the week on the podcast. You heard from Jamie Snowden, who has one of the fancied runners against him on yesterday's show. And Lucia is not running. Um, Nikki Henderson confirmed that uh, she uh, recorded a dirty scope. Gary Moore says this is a, a strong Tolworth hurdle 
trainer of authorised speed. Do you agree with him, Lydia? Yeah, I, d- I definitely, definitely do. Uh, it was good to see. Whereas, I mean, you, you quite often get a good horse, you know, such as Constitution Hill running in the Tolworth. This looks like a competitive race. Again, a bit like Constitution Hill, what authorised speed has done is to win impressively at Sandown, which he did last time out. That was a, a, a really good performance despite crashing through the final hurdle. Um, and then you've got Tamura. So for me, that's my idea of the winner. I've been really impressed with what he's did at Chepstow and then again, particularly at Haydock last time. He looks like a, a real talent. But it's great that Henry de Bromhead is sending over Arctic Brazil, who won last time out. Um, I'm just trying to remind myself who he beat. Oh, yes, that's right. Mercury of um, the Riches. Um, and that horse just, just didn't look right, the runner-up. I think, you know, there were quite a few mistakes in that race. It was a sort of crawl before Rachel Blackmore allowed Arctic Brazil to, to have his head. Um, and Mercury folded quite quickly in the style of a horse that, that might have, you know, had, had some sort of problem at that at that point or, or or something like that. I mean, I'm just reading in from the outside. Um, so I think that, that there might be an element of flattery to that. But clearly, Henry de Bromhead thinks a lot of Arctic Brazil. Um, I know that his wife was saying that when they brought him that uh, he uh, reminded her of sizing John, Heather de Bromhead. Um, and so Henry was sort of saying it's inevitable that we would have to have him after that. Um, and he was talking about the, the Moscow Flyer immediately after the winning uh, um, last time um, at Cork. Um, and uh, I, I can see the sort of, he's got a blend of speed and stamina for two miles. So Sandown looks like an ideal target and Robbie Power, who does their placing now, that's what he's identified for him. So yeah, it, um, we just talked about the top ones there, but you know, it's a competitive and deep Tollworth and I'm very much looking forward to it. Okay, well, Sandown Park now bill tomorrow, Saturday, not as Tolworth Hurdle Day, but as Veterans Chase Day, because the race has uh, built up such a following over the last few years, as you heard from various guests during the course of this week. Now, one horse who's been quietly backed all week, or maybe loudly backed, who knows, is Cross Park, who was a very good horse with Caroline Bailey before her retirement, is now with trainer Nick Kent, who's with me now. Nick, there's something slightly unusual about the qualification for this race of this horse. It's um, Martin Pipe old school, I reckon, this. (laughs) <laughs> um, it, well, it, it was disappointing. It, it was called off on the day, but um, yeah, we, we qualified, um, which we were hoping to do. Uh, we were hoping to get a run the day that happened, but anyway, we got a run into him after he qualified. So um, yeah, um, everything's gone to plan. We've had no setbacks with him in training, which is good. Um, I guess the biggest worry is the weight. He's still seven pound above his last winning mark, uh, and it's four years since he's won. So you know, which um, it, it's a tough ask for him. I think but he's run well round. It's uh, he's run well at Sandown in the past. He's been second in that race two years ago, wasn't he? Beating the length. Yeah, he, he, he's run a tremendous race. He was second in the race behind See You at Midnight, and we were talking to that horse's trainer earlier in the week. I, if, you'd, if you'd got him, knowing nothing about him, if, you, if he was a complete blank canvas and somebody said to you, Nick, just train this, what would you have thought he was? Yeah, I would have thought what he is, to be fair, which is a hardened handicapper. He's a no-nonsense horse. He gets on with his work. He doesn't know when to stop, which is good. The further we go with him in whatever work we do, he gets keener and he's up for it every morning. He pulls out like a young horse. Uh, He's a no-nonsense 
you know, he, he's not one of these horses that's spooking and jumping around. He just wants to get on with life, eats up. You know, he's great to train, basically. I mean, Caroline did bring him when when he when he arrived. Caroline actually brought him, and we had a good discussion about him. She filled me in about his uh, his little quirks and one thing and another. She was very helpful. Um, but no, he is what he is, and he, uh, he he's he's a he's a nice horse to have about. Uh, I bet he is, and he's he's thirteen. But would you guess it? No, you wouldn't. No, you certainly wouldn't. You'd say he was. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. You would say he was six or seven. Uh, the way he pulls out every day, and the, just the way he, he enjoys his work. He's, he has to say, he's a no-nonsense horse. And uh, yeah, couldn't couldn't be happier with him. Really, as I say, we've had no setbacks. Touch wood. At all, you know, everything's just gone to plan. Apart from Sandown when it was called off, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe and maybe that'll be a brilliant plan as things as things transpire. Um, tell me a little bit about Earn River, a horse that I followed quite closely last season, and, and he, he fell at Aintree, and then you you gave him a spin over hurdles the other day at Doncaster, and he ostensibly ran pretty well. Is that a, a sign that that's what you might do for the rest of the year, or will you go back over fences? Well, we're going to keep the options open. We'll see what the planner says uh, when we get him, you know, get him right again. Um, I'm, I'm not worried if it's hurdles or fences. He tends his, his style of jumping suits hurdling, I think, more than fencing. He tends to hurdle his fences and he hurdles his hurdles. Um, disappointed he got beat at Doncaster. If he'd have jumped one of the last two better, I think we would have won. Um, yeah, I was disappointed we didn't win, but he, he did run well, um, and I was happy with him. He's actually gone for a wind up today, so hopefully he'll be back in five, six weeks for a run. And if there's a nice race in him, Nick, do you have a hunch what it might be? <sighs> Not at the moment, no. I, I wouldn't. I mean, obviously, we were really disappointed he didn't win a team three. Uh, last year, I thought that was a really good opportunity for him uh, that day. But his jumping found him out. You know, he's inexperienced, I should say, because he was very ex- inexperienced going into that. He'd only had two runs over fences going into that race. It was a big ask, but I thought he was capable of winning that. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not worried if it's hurdles or fences with him. Can I can I suggest you find a just after he's had his wind up? Can I just suggest you find a per temps qualifier that gets abandoned because of the frost, and then? Uh, well, that is that is one of the uh, yes, that is one of the plans we've had. We um, we we thought about that. We thought about trying to get him qualified for the per temps. We wanted to see how Doncaster went, and we we were happy enough with him uh that day as i say i, I was gutted he got beat but um he still ran a, a good race and uh, he, he proved to us that he, he will stay the three miles as well i think i think that horse that you're leading or or riding has walked three miles in the time we've had this conversation so i, I do appreciate your time who are you are you on or are you leading at the moment no, no, I'm, just leading. I'm just about to jump on him actually yeah so they've all left me actually they've all disappeared out of the yard and gone into the school so they'll all be cursing me well all all, all the listeners will be extremely grateful for the excellent information you provided them and i really appreciate your time thank you nick no worries cheers then Trainer Nick Kent there with his eyes on the Veterans Chase final at Sandown Park tomorrow. And who knows, possibly the Potemps final with Earn River.
later on in the season. Um, my thanks to him for giving up his time where clearly he uh, he was a bit preoccupied. But that comment applies to an awful lot of people who I ambush first thing in the morning. Um, <laughs> not to Lydia Hislop, who is always meticulously prepared and has probably had to spend quite a lot of this week reading articles about the whip, which I'm sure has been uh, as much of a source of joy to you, Lydia, as it clearly was to Chris Cook, who's written a an excellent, uh, um, rather coruscating piece in the in the Racing Post this morning. Yes, and Chris is really asking himself, you know, uh, why have we all spent so long uh, obsessing about the whip over the course of our lives, but also more particularly during the past four years since Nick Rust announced in December 2018 that uh, this whole subject would be officially looked at and it's eventually wound up with uh, the f- first report to draft A and now, of course, the the the, the revised rules. And Chris is sort of saying, oh, it's a you know a bit like being being in government and you know assailed by crisis after crisis. And, and just focusing on some bit of minutiae in the corner. And he was listing all of the things that are facing racing in terms of, of concerns, you know, falling attendances, uh, the, the threat of, of affordability checks, all sorts of different things. I would include the, the talent drain of, of horses um, to elsewhere, which has an impact both on the flat and o- over jumps. Loads of things to be worrying about. But instead, we spent all of this time, all of our lives, it seems, obsessing about the whip and he's pointed to and as I'm sure you on the steering group would have weighed just 510 members of the public actually bothering to answer the consultation I suppose you could ask you know how, would would more have asked if they'd have known about it but again British Racing would say that they tried um, to ask a, a number of people um, they tried to publicize it as much as possible and that was the response that they got. David Jones has also um, written a, a piece for the Racing Post. Mm-hmm. He's the regulatory independent non-executive director of the BHA, but he also chaired the steering group. And he had several messages to put forward. First, that this is not a U-turn. This is not a U-turn. Um, he said that the the changes that were made as a result of the deputation that came about from a number of influential jockeys, um, that the, the, the net decision made uh, should abide by the principle that nothing that diluted the principle uh, defined by the steering group would be done. And he is of the view that the new whip rules with uh, the revisions deliver the same objectives as the, the previous um, set of rules, but in a different way. And he highlights reductions to thresholds, removal of stewards' discretion, significantly increased penalties, the deterrent of disqualification and the introduction of the whip review committee. He also pointed out that perception is important, contrary to what many people within the industry say, and he maintains that the whip is a turn-off. Um, I would, I, I'm, I'm interested in that, that that public response or public surveys say that they would be interested in going racing more if racing addressed the whip or perhaps removed the whip for encouragement. I, I'm always very wary about these kind of, you know, focus groups, how how the question is framed, what what does it what does it does it lead uh, to an answer at all? Is it a leading question? I always think back to um that campaign when smoking was removed from pubs and there were lots of people interviewed and they said, Oh, we'd definitely go to pubs, you know, if there wasn't all of that horrible smoke. And so all of that horrible smoke was removed and uh, the attendances to pubs have dropped off a cliff nonetheless. So I I, I do think sometimes there can be an element of two and two makes five in terms of focus groups and uh, public perception on something that 
they haven't spent a great deal of time thinking about, um, nor do they care ultimately that much about. Uh, but nonetheless, he rightly points out that the Labour Party at the last general election had a manifesto pledge uh, for an independent review of the use of the whip for encouragement. So it's clearly in the purview of the Labour Party. Um, but that was under Jeremy Corden. Will it stay under Keir Starmer? Question mark. It might well do. Um, then we had, uh, he acknowledged that the whip is an essential aid to horsemanship. And he the message that he wanted to put across was that the revised whip rules have now found the right balance between the customer's view and the core principles of goods and safe race riding. I would add, and competitiveness, because I think that is crucial in terms of what the, using the whip for encouragement means. If you want competitive international sport, then in, to my mind, as far as I can see, having looked at races where um, the, the whip is not allowed to be used for encouragement and horses admittedly not of the standard that are in our top level in Britain, but nonetheless, horses sort of wander distractedly towards the finishing line and the least distracted wins. I do think that there will be an impact to the withdrawal of the whip for encouragement on competitiveness and therefore uh, the relevance of, of that, that racing on the international stage at the top level and anything that needs to be done would have to be done concertedly global wide and I'll come back to a point that Ryan Moore made about that because I think it is important. Um, and finally uh, it's quite clear that the, that the BHA and David Jones are wishing to um, make the PJA, the Professional Jockeys Association, shoulder a large amount of blame for the last minute revision um, and undermining of these processes and said that uh, the PJA has committed to reviewing its consultation processes and uh, the chief executive Ian McMahon is quoted on that, which is good to see because generally, generally I, I wasn't sure he was still he was still the chief executive because I, you know, I, I haven't really seen or heard much for him from him. So it's good, good to see that he he is there. Um, so that was that was the summation of what David had to say. Ryan Moore talked about it was important to find long term solutions, and I think this personally is absolutely critical. Uh, it's all very well to have this sort of big shouting, you know, look at us. We're looking at this review. We're reviewing this subject. We're taking it very seriously. And we're going to make, you know, big sweeping changes. That means that we don't have to talk about the whip for another 20 or so years. I think personally, it would be much more meritorious to have a, a, a to show that you are constantly interested in this subject, that you are constantly finding out more about it, that you're acting a global wide. I think it's that is absolutely critical, critical because of the what otherwise one racing nation is going to start playing off against each other or losing out against each other in terms of competitiveness. So I'm I I think it, Ryan Moore's approach, which talks about incremental change, research, wanting to to make sure that this is is a subject that uh, British racing is always on top of and slightly ahead of. I think that is critical. We can't just say right now we've done the whip review. Now put it in a drawer. All right. Well, those of you who were following the flat season very closely towards the end of last year will know that the Simon and Ed Crisford stable was in rip-roaring form pretty well from the middle of the season right the way through to the end. They've continued 2023 where they left off in 2022 and they could get a Group 2 victory today at Maidan in Dubai, albeit the weather's not very nice. 420 GMT Algiers is favourite for the first round of the Al Maktoum Challenge. Uh, I, I rang Ed Crisford, assuming, Ed, that you would be in Dubai, but short straw for you this week? Short straw for me, the three dads out there. Um, but I'm here with the horses here, which is great. And uh, 
yeah, give it to dad this week. So it's part time out next week. Uh, in fairness, I, I, you, you did the Melbourne, the Breeders' Cup. I'm guessing you want to be on terra firma for a while, don't you? No, exactly, exactly. I did a lot of travelling at the back end of last year, so quite happy to be here for a few weeks, that's for sure. So you're on the Windy Heath at the moment, watching your, your young horses working. Algiers is out in Dubai. He's favourite today for the Al Maktoum Challenge. Does that accurately reflect his, his chance, do you think? Well, I think on, on what he's done and on sort of ratings, I think it does reflect it, but he has got a bad draw of 10, which... The mile at Maidan, you slightly do need a better draw. But if he, he if he jumps well and he gets a good position and overcomes the draw, I, I'm sure he 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 will run a you know a, a good race. And and it seems just looking at the numbers that the gelding operation that he had in the middle of last year worked in terms of improving his form. Is that the way you read it? Yeah, I mean he he, he was he was a solid horse last year. He won the Turbulandy Mile on dirt, albeit slightly lesser sort of uh, competitors. But I think the gelding operation has worked. It's lightened him up. It's made him a bit more athletic. And um, he, yeah, I mean you know he he really he probably had a career best performance at Linkfield um, when he was just beaten by Mister Cut. Um, and that day, he, you know, he built some very, very good figures and Mr. Cut just ground them down and literally the last tries before the wire. Um, and so, yeah, on, on, that, on, that, on that basis, I would say he has improved. And, and even though he's a, he's a 10 furlong horse on turf or on a synthetic surface, do you think a mile suits him better on the dirt, that more attritional surface? He's better dropping back to a mile. It definitely takes some getting um, the, the marlet made, and it, it, as you say, it's, it's it, you have to really grind it out. It takes it, it, you have to be extremely fit. Um, so starting off on dirt um, for his first run in Dubai, the marlet was the, the perfect option, and we'll probably be looking to stepping him up as time goes on um, throughout the carnival. How big is the Crisford string in, in Dubai this year? We've actually just got a small string. We've only got um, sort of about five out there, four or five. Um, we just sort of, uh, uh, pick, chose and picked a few horses that suited the races out there. Um, and we might take a few more out as the time goes on um, towards Super Saturday and World Cup night. So aside from Algiers, who are the sort of team leaders for the, for the moment? Who are the select few that you're really pinning your hopes on? Well, a horse called Positive Impact. He's a Samuel Gelding. He's, he, he he won a, um, at the back end of last year very well. He's um, he's sort of a miler, and he he's should, he's aiming for next week at the carnival. And he is um, he's a very solid horse, and I think he should be very competitive out in Dubai. Excellent. Looking forward to seeing him and Algiers this afternoon. Ed, thanks so much for talking to me. Brilliant. Thanks, Nick. Well, it's been a little while since we've um, checked in with uh, our friends in Japan on the on the podcast. Nahiro Goda, a regular contributor, uh, and I'm also very pleased occasionally to be able to call on the services of of Kate Hunter, who you'll have seen um, representing Japanese interest internationally so well through the last eighteen months, two years or so. And uh, Kate joins me now. Uh, Kate, first of all, some some interesting news about a a horse that's moved from Japan to Australia. We're used to stallions being acquired by Japanese interests, but not so used to to the flow going the other way. Tell me a bit about Diatonic and why it might be significant. Well, he's a son of Lord Kanaloa, um, eight years old. He's he's proven to be quite good at fourteen hundred meters and at the Group Two level and Group Three level. Um, uh, he, he never quite got there to, I guess, the Grade One level. But I think that 
given the success of horses of that, of that level in Australia, I think he's a good get for them. And it's is it a sign, do you think, of just Australia's growth and growth in in the bloodstock world that they can they can acquire a stallion from Japan rather than rather than vice versa? We assume that you know Japanese racing is in such a kind of dominant position financially that it doesn't really need to sell its stallions. Yeah, it doesn't really need to. But when when it comes to, it's a lot harder to become a stallion in Japan than I think most people think. It's it's much. I mean, imagine an entire country that is Kentucky. Um, so it's like you, you have to you have to earn your spot on that stud uh, roster either by having a unique pedigree like your Matera Skies who'd never won a group one himself but he's now a stallion very popular stallion um, a young stallion right now um, but you've got um, like a Lord Kanaloa there's already you know some good sons coming through Lord Kanaloa that there's not the need for him because he doesn't have that group one status. So he is the kind of horse that if you're looking to come buy one from Japan, he's, the, he's, he's, he's a perfect candidate. Um, and in the past couple of years, um, India, Turkey, um, uh, New Zealand and Australia have, have been, have been knocking on the door looking for Japanese stallions to, to take home with them. And so I wouldn't be surprised if eventually other, other places would be looking at the same, same situation. But the thing is, is that they're going to have to settle for the group two, group three winners because the Japanese won't sell their group one winners. <laughs> yeah. And the, the interesting point will be at which, at what point does a, does a stud in, in, in Britain take a, a, a what I would call an indigenous Japanese bred Japanese stallion to stand full time rather than take one back that they'd had originally. Yeah, that, that'll be interesting. Cause like I, I, I kind of look at um, like some of the ones that Coolmore has bred. That those have been fantastic. They, they've had a fantastic relationship with with the Yoshida's um, breeding to Deep Impact and the like, and taking them back home with their mares. It's it's been a, a, a beautiful operation, and I hope they continue. Because even though we don't have deep impact anymore, I think there's still a lot of uh, good blood to be mixed with the Europeans for success. And hopefully young stallions like Yoshida will prove to be um, popular in the United States. He was at least bought as a yearling. Um, but it'd be interesting to see if, you know, a couple horses came over, one at the Breeders' Cup, if anyone were able to cough up enough money to buy one. Um, it'd, be, it'd be pretty fantastic. Now, talking of the Breeders' Cup, it, extraordinary the difference a year makes. Um, when we were in, in Del Mar, it was, right, how many races are Japanese going to win in, 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 in Keeneland next year? And in the end, there was only a, a, solitary, a solitary runner. Why was that? And do you think that trend will reverse going back to California this year? It's absolutely going to reverse. Um, I, I can I can guarantee you that. But um, the the main thing I think last year was they went so hot and heavy in the beginning of the year that by the end of the year a lot some of the horses just weren't weren't in a position to be able to travel. And then you had the Japanese economy tanking, um, which it was the like second largest I think. Um, uh, currency devaluation since World War II, so it was a pretty pretty uh, dastardly move financially um, to send money abroad. It would basically made everything a third more expensive. Um, shipping to America doubled, and so there a lot of people were you know kind of turned off by the added added costs there. And and you can't necessarily blame them when you're looking at two hundred dollars round trip to the United States on a hopefully we win. <laughs> mm, yeah, so. so so f- fingers crossed, back at Santa Anita, we'll, we'll see a, a good, strong Japanese representation. 
Absolutely. I think they, they particularly seem to really like California. I always get um, all the, some of the trainers um, will always be like, well, we know California is going to be dry. We know California's closed, so it's a nice quick, quick flight. Um, there's less quarantine procedures because you go straight to the racetrack. Um, there's a, there's a lot of winning, winning, um, aspects to California that, um, the, unfortunately the East coast tracks kind of, um, don't have. So I've already had a lot of, um, people reach out about logistics and things like that going forward. So I'm hope, hopeful we'll have a, a good uh, contingency. And, uh, w- the main thing is we'll need Mr. Moore to come have, have a good group of horses cause he brought four back at Del Mar. <laughs> so, um, uh, but I think uh, I might have Yahagi might be coming with with his um, as many horses as he can get fit into the plane. So that's 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 excellent news. I just wanted to touch on the Ark, which you know the Great Holy Grail for Japanese racing, which was a bit of a disaster last year. In truth, title holder et al. and and he didn't really go on from that either. Next time, what do you think that's going to look like in twenty twenty three? The the road to the Ark for Japanese horses, if anything. Well, I think that. I'm not sure. Like, as, as an American, I personally cannot um, fathom the 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 interest and the love for that one particular race. I'd want to just if if I had that this much talent consolidated in one country, I'd want to spread the love and try and win. You know, pick up all the races. Um, but I think that they're they're just gonna they're gonna keep trying because eventually eventually they will get there the 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 stars will align um the shamans will have spoken and the (laughs) everything will finally finally work out um and uh, hopefully global warming will kick in and it won't rain (laughs) and and you know kate earlier when you said to me imagine you know if if kentucky was one country well there'll be plenty of people listening who you and i know well who will be thinking well kentucky is one country isn't it when it comes to horse racing, it definitely feels that way. Um, but uh, I think it's 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 one of those things where you know Japan is it's it's, it's an interesting little microcosm because you've got so much you've got, you've got so much mixed, um, and it's not something you necessarily see in America or Europe. It, it's it's a very diverse group of importing different bloodlines mares and stallions and they're really trying to mix it up right now and i think compared to japan a couple years ago with the massive amount of sunday silence the way they're really trying to 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 kind of swirl the bloodlines around um i'm really excited about what japan has to offer in particular because i just think this mix and match of the best from all over the world is is really going to be a boon to them i'm going to see them step up to the next level all right, Kate Hunter there, and thanks to her, and thanks to all my guests today. And Lydia is with me, and Lydia has something for you for the weekend. Well, I'm going to go today. I mean, I think Tamuras will win the the Tolworth. Um, I th- I'm, that that'd be a, a strong view. But I'm going to go the two thirty at Ludlow today. Horse called Ring of Bearer, who is now trained by um, Tim Easterby, used to be with Richard Hughes, and I don't think fulfilled his full potential in the end on the flat. Now he's turned to hurdling. He had a shocking trip in a steadily run race at Newcastle last time out. Um, where he got shuffled back and then he was badly hampered in the straight as well and the winner had flown by that point. It's much better than the literal form that second and I think he can win the 2.30 at Ludlow today. Lydia, thanks so much. Thank you for listening. That was Friday, January the 6th. Don't forget, if you do enjoy this podcast, please do press subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from because then it will be delivered to you automatically every day. And if you have enjoyed it, please do give us a rating and a review and tell us what you enjoy. 
And we will see you again on Monday. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.